Well, again, I do want to say good morning to you. Thank you for coming and worshiping with us. Uh, while uh, we are preparing to dive into God's Word, I want to encourage you. Go ahead, grab your Bibles. Let's go to Romans chapter 10 together. I want to encourage you, if, if you don't have a paper copy or an electronic copy uh, of God's Word right in the pew in front of you, there is a, a copy of God's Word. We want to encourage you to grab it so that you can read along with us. Uh, this morning we are continuing uh, in our series of Why Do We Go? Last week we looked at the awful reality of hell as a motivating factor for why we should go. Uh, but this morning we, we want to lean into that maybe a little bit more. You know, presently there are two billion people around the world who have never heard the gospel. It's estimated that three out of four, that 75% of those in North America do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so maybe you're asking the question, why does that matter to me? Well, it matters because that, that means there's very likely somebody in your family, somebody that you work with, somebody that your kids play on sports teams with that are not saved. My guess is if I asked how many of you know family members right now that do not know Jesus Christ and they do not have a relationship with him, my guess is every hand in this room is going to go up as it did in the 8:30 service because we all have family members. And so the reason one of the reasons that we go is because we understand the reality of hell, but also because this affects us personally. The one big thing this morning is this, that we go in love and obedience to Jesus. The, the highest thing that we are called to do is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. Jesus, this is the first and greatest commandment. Everything that you and I do, from worship to work to uh, sharing the gospel to studying the Bible to anything that we do, we should do it to the glory of God because we love God and we love people. And we want to be obedient to Jesus because we understand that we have been bought with a price, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 6. That price was the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And because he loved us enough to die in our place, we want to show our love enough for him to be obedient. But what does it mean to live like we are sent? Well, let's look at it together. Romans chapter 10. I'm going to begin in verse 13. And if you're able, would you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word? Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 13, it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. 
For Esaias uh, saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. This is reading of God's word. Would you pray with me? Father, as we, uh, again, we open up your word. Lord, it is your word inspired by your spirit, written by you to reveal you to us. And so, Father, we just pray that we have ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Again, the one big thing says we go in love and obedience to Jesus. We must go because. We must go because, number one, it is God's will to save people. Look at verse 13 here in our text. It says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, who is this whosoever? Well, back it up one verse. It says, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Now, when Paul says that there is no difference between Jews and Greeks or Gentiles, what he is meaning is the truth that he wrote in Romans 3 and verse 23 that says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so when he says there is no distinction, Paul is saying that we are all sinners who are in need of a Savior. And how can we be saved? Well, verse 13 answers that. For whosoever, and this word whosoever or whoever will, tells us this, that salvation is available to all people. It is a biblical truth that you and I understand that Jesus died for everyone, not just some. He has died for every single person. You think of the most evil, vile people on the planet who have ever lived, and Jesus loved them enough to die for them just like he did for you and I. Why? Because there is no distinction. We may not have committed the atrocities of Adolf Hitler, but make no doubt about it, we are Hitler. We may not have publicly betrayed Jesus for his crucifixion, but there is a Judas in all of us. And we need to understand this this morning because it will help develop a heart for the lost, that they are just like us. We need the same thing that changed us. You see, Jesus Christ didn't come and die on the cross so that we could be a better us. He died on the cross to make us a new us. So if your salvation is based on you being a better person, you're still lost. Okay? Now, there's a lot of confusion around the phrase in verse 13 where it says, shall call upon the name of the Lord. What does that mean? And there's a lot of different beliefs out there about it. Um, one of them simply says this. Well, to call on the name of the Lord means anybody who believes in Jesus. This mental assent that, oh yeah, Jesus existed and Jesus died. And, and if I just believe that, then that is sufficient for salvation. If that's the case, 
let me show you what happens. All right, James chapter 2, verse 19. You all have to turn there. You can write it down or you can go there if you'd like to. All right, but James chapter 2, verse 19 says this. You believe in one God, you do well. The devils, the demons also believe and they tremble. So what it means is if the phrase, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, if that simply means all I have to do is believe that Jesus existed and believe that Jesus died, then I'm saved, then the very demons of hell are saved. Now, does anybody want to go out on the theological limb this morning and say, I believe that the demons of hell are saved? Good. So then we got a problem. All right, fact of the matter, I would uh, submit to you this morning that the vast majority of people in America would say, yes, I believe in Jesus. But they're talking about a historical figure, not Lord, Savior, and King. So simply believing that Jesus lived and died is not sufficient. So what does it mean then? That's a great question. Well, we have to go to another place uh, where this same Old Testament quote is used. And see, there in uh, Romans 10, 13, Paul is actually quoting from the Old Testament in Joel chapter 2. Well, there's a man by the name of Peter who on the day of Pentecost is given in the book of Acts. He also quoted from Joel chapter 2. And on that day of Pentecost, Peter is preaching the gospel. And it was so convicting. The Holy Spirit was moving in the hearts and lives of those that were hearing Peter so much that the Bible says that it pricked them in their heart. In other words, they were convicted of their sin. And they were so convicted that they cried out to Peter, what must we do to be saved? Now, what Peter says is this. I've already told you what you need to do to be saved. You need to call on the Lord. What does that mean? Repent and be baptized is what he said. Now, I don't have enough time to go all the way down this rabbit trail this morning, so I'm going to give you the Cliff's Notes version, okay? Peter is not there in Acts 2. He's not teaching that baptism is necessary for salvation, okay? What is he then saying? Why does he say repent and be baptized? He is saying to call on the name of the Lord means you first repent of your sins. That means you turn from your sin. Sin of what? Rejecting Jesus. To turning in faith, placing all your faith, all your hope, all your trust, not in what you do, not in who you are, but all your faith in what Jesus did on the cross on your behalf. That's what it means to repent. It means to turn away from and turn to. It's to go in the opposite direction. And so Peter says that to call on the name of the Lord means you must repent. So why does he say, and be baptized? Because Peter was saying, proof of your repentance is you will be obedient. You see, we got to get past this notion in the American church that all Jesus wants to do is give me my get out of hell free card. All right, we got to get past this notion that Jesus is trying to just give us fire insurance. Jesus died not to improve us, but to create a new us, which means this. My words, my thoughts, my actions must be different. If I'm going to say I'm a Christian, I better live like a Christian. All right, C casual cultural Christianity 
must die. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, a lot of people in America say that they're Christian. Why? Because they're not an atheist, they're not a Muslim, they're not uh, any other religion. Well, I'm not all those things, so I must be a Christian. And a, a call to follow Christ is a call first to die to yourself, to your sin, and to be alive to Him. And, and so what... Peter is saying when he says repent and be baptized is he's saying you need to turn from your sin and evidence that you have turned from your sin is that you will now seek and strive to be obedient to Jesus now does that mean that you're going to be perfect not a chance you're going to fall short of the glory of God every single day but it does mean that the heart of a believer Because God's Holy Spirit is coming and He's living inside of us. He is changing our passions and our desires. And we have this desire to please Him and to live according to His Word. A Christian who knows what to do and willfully doesn't do it. James says that's sin. So we have to get to this understanding that if I'm genuinely a Christian... My life is going to reflect that. And so I think the first question we have to ask ourselves is this question. Does my life confirm my words? When I say I'm a Christian, do people go, yeah, I can see that? Or is their first reaction, you're what? Oh, I didn't know that about you. That's what it means. Now, by the way, not only did Peter and Paul teach this, but so did Jesus. Luke chapter 13 and verse 3 says, But unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. See, Jesus didn't just come to and die to live alongside of us and make sure that we're going to go to heaven in the end. Jesus came so that we would die to our sin and to ourself, but that we'd be made alive to him that we would strive to please Him in everything that we do. This is what it means to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, we said there in verse 13, we said that word whosoever is whoever will, so salvation is available to all people. That's good news. Now, here's the flip side. While salvation is available to all, salvation is not automatic. In other words, not everybody is saved. Not everybody's going to heaven. And so you and I, we must go because number two, the gospel is the only means for salvation. Now, Romans chapter 10, uh, the apostle Paul is specifically talking to the nation of Israel. You might be wondering, how do we know that? Good question, look at verse one. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Church, let me ask you something. Do you pray that this nation and this world would come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ? Is that something we pray for on a daily basis? Paul is addressing Israel's greatest problem. See, Israel thought that there was multiple ways they could go to heaven. At first they were like, hey, I'm, I'm an Israelite. Of course I'm going to heaven. I'm good. Paul goes, no. Then they were like, well, you know, I, I'm trying to keep the law of Moses, so I'm good. Paul's going, nah, 
Paul's going, the only way you can be saved is to call upon the name of the Lord. Paul is preaching on the exclusivity of the gospel. In other words, there is only one way in. And that is faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, by the way, Israel's problem, unfortunately, is also America's problem. We have many people who want to believe that all roads lead to heaven. We have, sadly, many churches preaching that there are other ways to heaven. Yet these things directly contradict Scripture. Scripture such as John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, there's that word again, believes in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. Or John chapter 14 and verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that no man comes to the Father but by or Peter in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, that there's no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. Even our own text, Romans 10, 13, shows us that Scripture is clear. There's one way to be saved. Not only is it clear in the New Testament, but remember, Paul is quoting from the Old Testament. So the Old Testament and the New Testament both agree that faith in the Messiah, who is Jesus, that's the only way in. Now, a, a very common objection to this is what about those who have never heard? And I'm going to tell you, man, that, that's a tough one. Okay? It's, that's tough. But here's where Scripture, I believe, comes down on the issue. The gospel is either the only way for a person to be saved or it's not. It can't be good for some and not others. It's either all or nothing. So that ought to be breaking our hearts. I mean, if we genuinely love God and we love others, like we ought to be weeping over this right now. Because two billion people right now have never even heard the gospel. There's another 75% of North Americans that are rejecting the gospel like I, I just got to ask a question what is it going to take for the church's heart to be broken over the loss and what's it going to take for us to get on our knees and, and cry out before God to, to use us and the, the church around us to reach them I mean if we really believe that hell is real and it's eternal then how can we be comfortable in our churches week in and week out? If we believe that hell is real and that people who reject Jesus or, or don't receive the gospel go there, then how can we stay silent? You know, Paul addressed this very issue in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He, he says to this church at Corinth in the 34th verse, he says, awake to righteousness. In other words, you need to wake up and start living right. And sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Paul's telling the church at Corinth, you know, there's people in Corinth that have never heard the gospel. And Paul's going, Corinthian believers, 
God holds you responsible for that. I believe God's saying the exact same thing to you and I today. That there are people around us. I, let, let you, maybe you're going, wait a minute, 2 billion people. Pastor, that's a lot of people. Gotcha. 75% of North Americans. I got it. It's a lot of people. All right? You and I can't do everything, but we can do something. We can begin with those that are right around us immediately, right? We, we can make sure that, that our friends and our family and our co-workers and neighbors, at least they have heard the gospel from us. Even if nobody else has reached them, we can. And I believe that God is raising up and he will raise up missionaries from this local church. And they will go to North America and they will go to the ends of the earth. I believe that because scripture declares that that's what we're supposed to do. But I also believe scripture declares that we need to also, as we are going there, we need to be working here. It's not either or, it's both. All right, I'll have time to go to Acts chapter 1 verse 8. We'll do that later. But the gospel is either the only way for a person to be saved or it's not. If we believe it is, and we believe hell is real, then we've got work to do. Which means this, the primary focus of a church must be getting the gospel to the lost. Decisions that are made, resources that are spent should be done with two things in mind. Number one, how can we get more people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? And number two, how can we equip those who are here to go out and share the gospel of Jesus Christ? We should not make decisions on keeping sheep happy. We should make decisions on how to reach those that are not sheep yet. There's nothing more important than we can do with our life. We must go, number three, because God has called us to go. I'm going to ask you a fun question. Some of you are chuckling when you hear me say the word fun. Because I know what that means. How many preachers do we have here this morning? Some of you are looking at going, you're the only one I'm seeing. I got you. Can I tell you something? I would submit to you that's exactly part of our problem. See that word preacher there? You know what it means? It doesn't mean preacher in the American church context. It means a proclaimer, a herald, somebody who has been given news, who is to go out and broadcast that news. So what that means, church, is this. You are all preachers. Now you know why I don't like the word preacher when we start talking about the office of pastor and uh, elder deacon, but another sermon, another Sunday, let's keep going. What it means is this, that the great commission applies equally to every one of us. The job of evangelization is not just a pastor's job. It is not just a deacon's job. It is not just a Sunday school teacher's job. It is not just an evangelist's job. The goal of evangelism is everybody's job. If you're a blood-bought, born-again child of God, you have been given a message to go and proclaim in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let's put it in Franklin County, okay? In Westlake, in Franklin County, 
in Virginia, in North America, and to the ends of the world. This is the message that we have been given. And by the way, it's the only message that God has specifically given authority and permission for the church to share. God never told us build ministries. God never told us build buildings. He did go tell us go make disciples of all nations. Now we do, we use ministries as a way to make disciples and to equip disciples. But the goal is always the evangelization of the world. What do we do with this? I, I don't know about you, but the, the more I read this text, almost the more overwhelming this responsibility became. Like it, it was an elephant sitting on my chest last night, just going, God, like this is a big elephant. How do we eat this thing? And we always go one bite at a time. I'm going to tell you, if we got to take a bite out of two uh, of an elephant the size of two billion people, that's a big elephant. But what can we do now? How can we have the heart of God? And how can we have a heart for the lost? I, I want to suggest just a few things. First, we need to begin praying for the lost. I, I want you to understand this, that salvation is a spiritual issue. Salvation is the plan of God accomplished by the Son of God, confirmed by the Spirit of God, using the Word of God. How do I know that? Verse 17, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And, and so we need to understand that this is a spiritual battle that we are engaged in. It is one in which not only are we not equipped, but we are unable to win a part from the glory and the grace and the power of God. How do we get those things and see those things? By getting on our knees and crying out to God for the lost. By praying for them. See, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's not a question of does God want people to be saved? The only question that really remains for you and I, church, is this. Are we going to be obedient and go share how they can be? We need to till the soil, which is only done through prayer. You know, God uses prayer and he uses circumstances in life to soften a person's heart. In years of ministry, I've had the privilege, and I do consider it a privilege, to preach many funerals. You know, that's kind of a weird way of thinking. Now, hold on. I'll tell you why it's a privilege to stand before people and, and do a funeral. Because in their pain, they are most receptive to the truth of the gospel. Maybe it's not a death, maybe... Maybe something else is going on in life. And God's starting to soften your heart. Don't resist that. Understand that God has a purpose in what he's doing. 
I would ask you this. Who are you praying for specifically every day to be saved? You know, so often we pray generically, but we, we want the Lord to answer specifically. We, we get, you know, alone and go, Oh, Lord, we want you to save people. Who? Now, I understand we don't know 2 billion people. We don't know the 75% in North America, but we know somebody. Who is it in your family? Who is it at your job? Who is it at the ball field? Who is it at uh, Kroger or Walmart or wherever you go? Who is it that you know that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ? I want you to write their name down. I want you to put it in your smartphone, your tablet, your dumb phone, whatever you got. I want you to, whatever you take to your prayer time, I want you to write that name down. And I don't want you to stop praying until they die or they come to faith. That is the only way we are going to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, some of you are going, that's just pastor speak. All right, let me give you some proof. I like skeptics, they're fun. All right, we got one of our guys. He's a, a teacher, just a good guy. Adam, he shared a story two weeks ago on a Wednesday night talking about a guy that he knows. He'd been praying for his father 37 years. 37 years he'd been praying for his father to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And one night, by God's grace, his daddy came to faith in Jesus Christ. There's your proof. Pray for him. And don't give up. Sometimes you're going to have to pray long. Sometimes... You're going to pray, and you're going to feel like nothing's happening. And in those moments, don't get discouraged. Just remember the power and the sovereignty of the Almighty God. He can move in anybody's heart at any time, in any place, in any way, because He is God. You keep praying and trusting that God's going to move in their heart. And you always go with this understanding, that as long as there's breath in the body, there's hope for that soul. Pray for it. Number two, we, get, we can't just pray for them. We've got to share. It's been said by many that the Great Commission has become the great omission in the American church. It's estimated that approximately 2% of Christians in America have shared the gospel with a lost person one time in the last 30 days. All right, if I can lean into this for a moment, 2% trying to reach 2 billion isn't going to happen. It's going to take everybody. And even then, it's still a long shot. The good thing is, God's in long shots. Could this be why we're not seeing as many people come to faith and get baptized in the church? I think so. Are you somebody that proclaims the gospel? Some of you are going, listen, pastor, I agree with you. You're right, I got to be better. And you're feeling a lot of guilt and a lot of condemnation right now. Please, please don't hear that. This isn't about laying a guilt trip on you. This isn't about beating you over the brow, telling you what you ought to be doing, what you ought to be doing. This is a call for us to get on our knees before God and go, God, we need your help. So what do we do? How do we start this conversation? You know, there's so many different ways that you can do it. Uh, you're going to probably giggle at this, but there's an app for that. Um, 
It's a great one. It's a free one. Love free. All right, called Three Circles. We'll, we'll talk about it uh, maybe some other time. But you know one of my favorite ways to get into a gospel conversation? Because we all have somebody that we meet with and, and, and stuff. One of my favorite questions to ask is this. What do you think happens when a person dies? You know what I've discovered? Everybody's got an opinion about that. Now, they may think, well, you just die and that's it. Okay, but everybody's got an opinion. So you ask a question. What do you think happens when we die? And then just sit back and listen. And then you know what, what I typically do? I go, well, can I tell you what I believe? And sometimes they're like, sure. And sometimes they're like, not really. Okay. We're going to talk about that in a second. Let me tell you what I believe. And a lot of times what I'll do is I'll tell them, you know, this is what my life was like before Christ. This is how I knew I needed Christ. And this is what God has been doing in my life since I gave my heart to Christ. Okay? You're sharing the gospel throughout that whole thing. And then I've, I end it with this question. So what about you? If your life ended today, would you go to heaven or hell? Two questions, three statements, that's it. Stop overcomplicating it. Stop overthinking this. All right, no, another easy way. You have your smartphone, put, put the Bible on it. Highlight the Romans road. Okay, carry a little paper New Testament. All right, I'll open up to Romans 3.23 and say, hey, will you read that highlighted verse? All right, what does that say? Now, that's not me telling them what to believe. Now they're reading it for themselves. And the beauty of that, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God's word does the conviction through his spirit. Whatever way you do it, I mean, there's way of the master, there's Romans road, there's faith, there's evangelism, explosion, there's a lot of different ways. Whatever way you do, just start doing it. Because we could talk all day long about how terrible it is that people are dying and going to hell, or we could put our money where our mouth is, and we can go out and do it. And that's what God's calling us to do. But as you go, here's the last thing I'm going to end with. As you go, you got to know this. Look at verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for saith, saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? I want you to know this. Not everybody's going to be saved. You're going to share the gospel, and not everybody's going to receive it. So what do you do? Number three, don't take it personal. See, if you share the gospel and they say no, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God. Go to the next person. They reject you. Go to the next person and the next and the next and the next. Because we have this promise. Two promises God gave us. That as we go and share the gospel, number one, he is with us. Number two, he has promised some will be saved. So I look at a rejection as one step closer to the next person that's going to give their life to Jesus. And we keep going. But I have to ask you this morning. What about you? Have you come to that point where you have understood your sin? where you've looked at Jesus and you've placed all your hope, all your faith, all your trust in what he did on the cross for you. 
I'm not asking if you're trying to be a good person. I'm not asking if you do good things. I'm not asking if you go to church. You're at least here on this Sunday. I'm not asking if you preach, if you teach, if you sing, if you play. I'm not asking if you've been baptized. I'm not asking if your name is on a church roll. I'm asking, have you come to the point where you have placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone to save you from your sins? If you haven't, I'm pleading with you, let today be that day. Stop trusting in everything else and place everything you have in Jesus. Allow him to begin to change your heart, which will change your life. Until you do that, nothing else you do in this life is going to matter. But to those of you who are saved, who do you need to bring before the throne of God today? Who do you need to commit to pray for? Who do you need to ask? God, give me an opportunity to share the gospel with them this week. God, give me a heart and the boldness to step through that door when you open that opportunity. Who's your one? Will you commit to pray for them? Will you commit to share the gospel with them? Would you stand with me as we're going to pray this morning? Almighty God, as we continue to move through a time of worship, Father, we have sung songs that have lifted high the name of Jesus. We sang a song that reminded us of, of John 2, where you turned the water into wine. And Lord, so symbolic of the change you make in that sinner's heart and life. And now, God, we've sat up under your word. And so all that's left in this time of worship is a response. And Father, it's not a response to me or to this church. It's a response to the God of this church. To that God who loved the world enough to send his son and his son loved us enough that he died in our place. Father, if there's anyone that has never trusted you, Father, I pray by your grace today would be that day. That even now their heart is breaking and they're just, they're talking to you and they're responding to you. Father, we pray that hearts and lives would be changed. But God, I also pray for this church body. Let us major in the major, which is the gospel. Who do we need to bring before you? Who do we need to be praying over and pleading that you would save them? Lord, will we love you enough to respond and to be obedient to you? We give this time to you and we pray that you would move. In Jesus' name, amen. The altar is open. If you need to pray, you can pray with me. Pray here, but let's respond to God as we sing, Greater You, Lord.